Welcome to Bibli Observatory, a new series of the South Carolina State Library's podcast, Library Voices SC. I am Yvette Villarreal, Bibli Observatory hostess. And I am Caroline Smith, the Inclusive Services Consultant at the South Carolina State Library. This is a special transmission from Columbia, South Carolina, to explore the universe of books and stories that people treasure from their childhood and how those stories define the lives of people touched by them. We have today our guest, Becky Harris, from Lancaster County in South Carolina. Thank you, Becky, for being with us today. Well, thank you, Yvette and Carol, for inviting me. And. Um, Becky, you're a citizen of the Catawba Indian Nation. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and about the Catawba Indian Nation? Well, like I say, my name is Becky, and um, I grew up on the reservation, which is in Rock Hill, South Carolina, mm -hmm. and I remember a lot of stories that my grandparents and great-grandparents told us and about the little people. So... Uh, and there's a lot of changes mm -hmm. since then because even back then we weren't you didn't have grass growing in your yard and mm -hmm. you had to sweep your fig footprints out uh -huh. every day before you went into the house we always told that was to let the so the little people wouldn't know there were children inside so they wouldn't be coming in pestering you at night uh-huh interesting so who were the little people well, in the Catawba language, they were the Yinksusuris, mm -hmm. and that means people that are little. And I always say that they were larger than fairies, but smaller than leprechauns. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Can you tell us a little bit more about Catawba Nation? Where it's located? Because probably we have people listening at the program right now and wondering where is Catawba? Well, it's located in uh, Rock Hill, South Carolina. It's uh, 1536 Tom Stephen Road, and it's a little out from Rock Hill itself, so you had to follow the signs to get there. Uh, when visitors come there, I, I tell them, well, thank you for coming out of the way to, to find us. <laughs> so, and we have st back through the 17, 1500s and all, there are written reports of the Catawbas having one-on-one uh, -on -one relationships with first the Europeans who came here, later on the Patriots, and now today it was still a government-to-government -government entity within mm -hmm. the United States. And you're the only federally recognized tribe in South Carolina? So correct? far. Okay. <laughs> even though we have a number of state tribes. Yes, yes. So I think it's important for all of us to remember that we do have that culture right mm. here in our state. Yep, it's it's almost like we are the well-known secret. You mm -hmm. know, there are certain people that know about you and others that don't. Some people are still surprised that there are still Indians living in South Carolina. In mm -hmm. the concept of, you know, we're, if we're not in leather and feathers, mm -hmm. you're not recognized as being an Indian. We, it's almost like they want to keep us in the past. They don't mm -hmm. let us evolve into being, you know, lawyers, doctors, 
in every other job that there is out there. Mm-hmm. But it's just not a, it's not something that, oh, are you an Indian? Or another thing is, well, what part are you? Like you mm-hmm. can divide yourself up into little mm-hmm. bits and pieces if you're not quote unquote a full blood you can't be a real Indian or mm-hmm. you know and that's even within some of the tribes they kind of pick and choose sometimes well maybe you are maybe you're not you don't look like it mm-hmm. and it even got to the point to where I actually wrote a poem about it one uh-huh. time and was called funny you don't look it uh-huh. so would you like to tell us about it a little mm-hmm. bit Well, like I say, it's always one of these things to where people have a concept of what natives are supposed to look like, uh, you know. And so one day it just, somebody just said it one time too many. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I didn't respond to them directly, so I had to put it down on paper. Mm -hmm. So it says, funny you don't look at It's what you said to me when you asked me if I'm an Indian as if I'm just pretending to be. No, I don't look like the TV Indians or some of the tribes you see out west. And because I'm not a full blood, you think that makes me less than the rest. Yes, I have a white father and a Catawba mother, but it's what's in my heart that makes me embrace the latter without denying the other. So funny, I don't look it as you say, What's in my heart is a proud Catawba. Thank you. Mm-hmm. That was beautiful. Thank you, Thank you for sharing Thank your you. treasures in, from your heart. Mm-hmm. We love having you. We would love to have kids right now mm-hmm. uh, be surrounded by them and almost like a wish that we could see them and see their f- expressions and faces mm-hmm. uh, because also this is an important story for everybody, something that um, people might uh, struggle when they are little, and the continuation of telling people mm-hmm. what's the story behind us or mm-hmm. inside of us. Mm-hmm. It's really important and critical for children to hear them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That will help them. And we are going to start with one question. Okay. That is, um, very important for Bible Observatory. What was one of the favorite books or stories you heard when you were growing up? Well, it's just like I was telling you about, about the little wild Indians. And we always knew you didn't see them, but sometimes you could hear them, you know, like running through the woods or you might hear what you thought was laughter or you know, an acorn might be falling down on your head from a tree, but we're always told that was the little people throwing at us. Mm-hmm. And if you trip, that was the little people had tripped you. And one of the parts of it is that if there were strangers that came through, especially back when they were riding the horses and different things, if the rider had stopped to get a drink of water out of a spring or something, and by the time they got off the horse, got the drink of water and got back on the horse, the little people had braided the horse's tail. <laughs> and they say when, when the children were crying at night, we know, know nowadays it may be colic 
or something. Mm-hmm. But they would say that the little people were in there pinching them to make them <laughs> cry. And also, back when I was growing up, the houses weren't actually winterized. Mm-hmm. And so they used the old planks to m- make the floors. And sometimes there would be cracks in the floors. And we were always told never to sit close to the crack because the little people would reach up and pinch you. And I can remember sitting over in the corner, you know, crunched up <laughs> in a crouch, <laughs> making sure that I wasn't sitting next to the cracks. So were those stories used to kind of shape your behavior and show you how you should behave as you were growing up? Absolutely. Because they were saying, you know, if you misbehave, they'll, they'll come mm-hmm. after you anyhow. So. Yeah. And sometimes it made going to sleep at night kind of hard, uh-huh. <laughs> especially if you knew you had done something and you were sure that they were going to find out mm-hmm. about it. <laughs> so that what, those were your favorite yes. stories. Mm-hmm. Do you remember any particular time or person who told you this story, one of the stories yeah. that really impacted mm-hmm. you? Well, it w- my grandfather was the main one and my great grandfather which during at one point in time in history that they were both chiefs of the Catawbas and my great grandfather Chief Samuel Taylor Blue he was uh, very instrumental in showing me how to be proud of who you are Mm -hmm. but also not to be conceited of who you are but he was also during the time he was born in around 1873 and so by the time he was an adult that was when still the federal government had very strict rules about what you could and could not teach as far as the language Mm -hmm. the spiritual or religious rights that weren't Christian and also uh, your ceremonies so there was a ban on that and he didn't teach the language to any of his children, even though he was one of the last three fluent speakers. Mm-hmm. But there were enough people that were interested outside of the state that came in and interviewed mm-hmm. him. And we have some of his recordings of talking about two hunters. He was mm-hmm. speaking in the language. He and his sister mm-hmm. were singing some of our songs. So we're thankful that somebody mm-hmm. was interested enough of the dying breed, mm-hmm. you know, so that they. Do you know where we could go if we wanted to listen to some of those recordings of the Catawba language? We have uh, some at the uh, Catawba Cultural Center, mm-hmm. but we also have it in Lancaster at the Native American Studies Center, which is mm-hmm. part of the University of mm-hmm. Lancaster Regional Campus. They have some of the things there as well. Okay, interesting. Yeah. And also, if you'd like interested in seeing some of the crafts and the dances mm-hmm. and the singing on um, May the 18th, mm-hmm. we're of 2019 we're bringing back our Yapi Ishwa festival and that okay. means the day of, of the Catawba and it'll be on the reservation at the culture center Great. from 10 Did to 4. Yeah, so. I had another question for you um, you talked a little about the stereotypes and misconceptions about what it's like to have Indian heritage mm-hmm. today yes. um, would you have any book recommendations that could be used to help dispel some of those myths. I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. So, 
there aren't any specifically about any Pacific, uh, well, especially there's not any uh, about the Catawba as far mm-hmm. as the what's what, but we're in the process of trying to get some books written by mm-hmm. our people because even the books that are out there, when you find it, it's, uh, there's one that talks about the different tribes that was written by uh, Jean Crediford and it's entitled Those Who Remain. Mm-hmm. And he went around when they were, he was a professor actually at, at USC mm-hmm. and he visited the different tribes in the state and he's written a, a little bit about each one of them. And so that's a good one. Uh, you can probably find that on Amazon or eBay. And then uh, a lot of them that are out of print also, like uh, the Catawba Indians, The People of the River by uh, Douglas Summers Brown. She wrote it back in 1966. Mm-hmm. And there's some things in, well, about the Catawbas and different things. But as far as modern one book, there hasn't been one written yet. Yeah. But uh, like we'll I say, main to. thing to do is just um, come and check us out. Mm-hmm. And then, like I say, we're in the process of getting some of our people to tell the stories. Mm-hmm. Because, like Dr. Wana Hare, who is the, the director of the um, Catawba Culture Center is um, she says the books that are out there are about us through us but without us because mm-hmm. they'll come and get information and they'll t- take it back and put their little spill on mm-hmm. it and how they think it should be or how it sounds so yeah yeah I have a question mm-hmm. about your childhood about your earliest memories. How you remember yourself, the surrounding, your feelings, almost mm-hmm. like if we could describe a picture. How you remember yourself? My very first memory is actually we were playing in the creek and we were waiting and catching crawfish and taking them back home and cooking them and eating them. It's, and if nobody's ever eaten a crawfish, it, it almost has a shrimp taste to it. And they're freshwater. Mm-hmm. And used to find them in every creek around, but now they're kind of hard to find because of all the buildings and the pollution in the creeks or the creeks mm-hmm. being covered up. And I don't know that children today will ever know what that freedom feels like because we could go anywhere. It didn't matter whose house we went to. If you were there at supper time, you automatically sat at that table just like you were part of that family. Uh Uh, Families could leave home, windows open, doors open. Nobody ever went inside to bother anything. But also getting back to the little little people, if you were at somebody's house and you misbehaved, uh, you got a spank in there from them, just like you that were your parents. And it always amazed me that by the time I got back home, even though we didn't have telephones back then, 
they already knew and they were standing on the porch with that switch for that second banking. <laughs> uh. Nowadays it would be called child abuse, but back then it was, it, it wasn't, it was discipline. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you know, you weren't beaten, you would just hit just enough for that little sting <laughs> to know you better not do that again. Mm-hmm. How was the river, and can you tell us a little more about what is what does Catawba word mean? Actually, Catawba is not a Catawba word. It's mm-hmm. a Uchi Indian word, and they were a tribe that were along the Georgia coast during the 1500s, and they were actually the, the guides for the Spanish explorers when they first came up through our territory. And they called us Catabagainagiha, which means strong people standing together in their language. In our language, we called ourselves Ye Ishwant Wong Trongre. And that means people of the washed away riverbank. Mm-hmm. And with any native language, what they call themselves always translates to the people. We are the people. And it's just like if you're going to buy a house, it's location, location, location. And most of the names that the vast majority of the tribes are known by today were names given to them by other people. Mm-hmm. And it's just, that's because of whenever there was the written language, well, whoever was writing the language wrote it down by who they told them they were. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Is there a particular story from your um, mission um, oral story related to uh, folklore, um, traditional, some of those uh, stories that you um, narrate to children? Mm-hmm. Well, there are several that I tell. I tell them about how the wonks lost his bushy tail, tell about the Nawa Dapane, first woman, and then there's one about Ugni, the comet. And then I also borrow some other stories mm-hmm. from other people that I have heard and share about the enchigni of how the, the raccoon looks the way he does today. Would you like to tell us one of those? I will let you decide which one you want. Oh, I will <laughs> let Carol decide. <laughs> how about the last one about how the raccoon came okay. to look? Well, I'll have to tell you the way that I've always been taught to tell the stories, and you always mm-hmm. start with Eri Eridre in Sabrink Wakink Wetonk. That means a long time ago, the ancient people says this is how Inchigni looks the way he does today. Now, Grandfather Tatewa, the one who watches over us all, brought this baby in Chigney to Mother Blue Jay and told Mother Blue Jay to teach in Chigney the raccoon how he should behave and so she did and so she was taking him out showing him how to do errands how to collect the different food and the nuts and the berries and then they would uh, bury them in the ground for later use and so by the end of the day, they, she took him back to her house, and he was very tired, and he was very hungry, and so she was asking him, um, 
to go wash up so that he she could prepare his supper for him well she sits the table and he looks down and sees what is on the table and she has fixed some greens and he was saying yuck I don't like greens she says maybe not but this is what you have for supper so eat eat it and he said no yuck I don't like green she said well I'm sorry this is what we're having for supper so you're gonna have to go to bed hungry so he stomps to his bed and shuts the door and he's laying there and his stomach starts rumbling and grumbling and he's thinking about all the nuts that they had buried and so he gets up opens his door slowly and he slips outside and he goes and digs up the nuts from the first hole that they had buried. And he was going, yum, 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 I'll just eat a little bit. But they were so good and he was so hungry that he ate them all. And he looked down, but he was still hungry. So he goes to the next hole. And he said, well, I'll just eat a little bit more. So he digs them up. Next thing you know, he's eating them all again. But he's still hungry. So he goes to the third hole and he goes, digs them up and before you know it he's eating all of those nuts too so he slips back into the house and he said oh no what I'm going to do so he starts cleaning up Mother Blue Jay's kitchen and everything else and then he goes to bed and the next morning Mother Blue Jay knocks on his bedroom door and says you know you worked so hard yesterday and I got to thinking about well you've never eaten greens before so for a treat for breakfast we'll go down and get some of the nuts and he was telling oh no mother blue jay that's okay i'm i'm okay i can wait she says no you earned your reward you work for it so they go down and they look at the first hole and she says in chigney somebody has stolen all of our food do you know anything about it he said oh no brother blue jay i don't know anything about it well, Mother Blue Jay, you know, she has sharp eyes, and she sees these little paw prints all around this hole. And she says, oh, no, if they've gotten this food, we better go to the next one. He said, no, we don't have to do that. Let's go. So naturally, she takes him to the next hole. It's empty. And she says, oh, no, in Chigney, look at all of our food. It's gone. We better go check the third hole. So he kind of walks behind them with his head hanging down and she's looking she says oh no all of our food is gone now oh what are we going to do so she takes off her little blue cap and she hands it to Inchigny and she says I'm going to have to think about this because we're going to have to find out who's taking them go get me some water in my hat so he stomps off and he goes down and he dips his, her hat down into the water and he knows he's mad because he knows he's probably caught. So he punches holes in her hat. And he walks back and he says, Here, Mother Blue Jay, here is your water. And she looks down. She says, In Chigney, there was no water in here. And look, there was holes all in my hat. Do you know what happened? No, 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 I don't know what happened. Well, about this time, they hear this deep growling voice, Inchigny! And he looks, and it's Grandfather Tatewa. T 
tell Mother Blue Jay what you did. He hangs his head. He said, I said, tell her what you did. He, well, I was so hungry last night that I came down and I ate all the food. And that's why I cleaned your house up to make up for me taking the food. And then I got so angry at you because I figured you knew that I was the one that took the food and I punched holes in your hand. Grandfather Tatewa looks at Inchigny and he says, Inchigny, because you have told three lies to Mother Blue Jay, there will be three rings around your tail. And because it's actually proven that you are a thief, you will have to wear the mask of a thief. And so when people see you, they will know that you're not only a liar, but you're a thief as well. So they will watch you for what you're doing. And that is to why today, whenever you see a, a raccoon around, you will always hear a lot of blue jays chirping around him to remind him also of why he looks the way he does today. Oh. Thank, Thank you for you. sharing that with us. <laughs> now I want to go back and hear the other three. Yes, <laughs> well, come to our festival and you will get to hear them. Sounds good. Before we um, end our interview today, would you like to tell us anything about what you brought with you today? Well, I actually brought a picture of my great-grandfather, uh, Chief Samuel Taylor Blue, and he does have a Western headdress on. Mm-hmm which is not a traditional for the southeastern tribes, but he had gone out west for a meeting and he was presented and honored with with the uh, eagle feather bonnet by some other people out there. And then I brought a copy of my book of the Catawba Indians by the River People by Douglas Summers Brown. And it has pictures in there and talks about the Catawbas and also uh, one of my favorite pictures in here is also a close-up of Grandpa Blue with the bonnet, war bonnet on. Mm-hmm. And then the last picture that was taken of him at a family reunion for his birthday. And it was taken in 57, and he died in 59. And at one point, I used to could tell you every single name in there. and But the young lady right here that has her hands around the little boy is me (laughs) and that's my brother jimmy and then there are some other books that were written by other people about york county and the western york county it tells Mm -hmm. the story of uh, york county but it also has a picture of a float that was in the parade and these were when we went to the school on the reservation and we're dressed up mm-hmm. for the parade to represent the Catawbas. And in this one it's Rock Hills, uh, South Carolina, Gateway to the South. And it has a picture of my great aunt Arzada Sanders mm-hmm. showing when she was making the pottery. And the pottery is um, one of the things that the Catawbas are renowned for Mm -hmm. and it was also well let me back up just a little bit when Eisenhower was president he did what they call the termination act and he took federal recognition away from 110 of the tribes in the United States and we were one of them Mm -hmm. but in uh, 
93 after years in courts to prove that we still existed. Uh, we got our federal recognition back in 93. Mm-hmm. And it was through the pottery that helped to show that we had a continuous uh, making a part of our culture. Mm-hmm. And we can trace the pottery tradition back anywhere from 4,500 to 6,000 years where it hasn't been changed. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And I'll go back to the Catawba Indians, the people of the River book, uh, written by Douglas Summers Brown. Mm-hmm. And I'm here um, with a picture of you uh, surrounded by your family, probably, mm-hmm. or with your family and relatives in yeah. here. And right next to it is the picture of your grandfather. Mm-hmm. How old were you in this picture? Uh, 57, I was uh, 10. 10. Do you remember a story told by your grandfather? Well, like I said, it gets back to the, the little Yingsa stories, the little wild Indians. So. And also at that particular time, it was the generation where children were supposed to be seen and not heard. So if visitors and dignitaries came to see him, he would put on his regalia and he would sing and beat a hand drum and he would talk to them in the Catawba language. But I would always go peek through the window and watch them. But then we had to scatter when they came out. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see a connection of your current life tied to those stories you were told when you were little? Yes, because I'm continuing telling those stories. Mm -hmm. It's part of what makes me me, that the inner self-pride not in prideful way, but being proud of who you are and who I have become because it was a long journey. Mm-hmm. I can remember um, whenever I moved back to the reservation, I had married and then divorced and then moved back mm-hmm. to the reservation. And I was, this story I haven't told to a lot of people. But now I understand what that was mm-hmm. because I was driving down the road to go to the, to the culture center. And it was like I saw this shadow of a small bird, like a rent house wren. And it was almost like it was about to hit my windshield, but it, then it disappeared. Mm-hmm. But almost as soon as that one disappeared, it was like the shadow of a robin. And it went from a robin to maybe uh, a hawk, and then it went from a hawk to an eagle, and then it went from an eagle almost like a condor, and I'm thinking, oh my God, am I going crazy? (laughs) But as soon as it turned into, it was almost like I was seeing an airplane land Hmm. in the road, Mm -hmm. but it was like as soon as the airplane was about to touch, it turned into a man with a cape. And the way I can associate the man with the cape was almost like you're looking at Batman (laughs) coming down (laughs) from behind. And I had already heard about uh, 
there was a people were seeing the shadow of a of a man, but in in Virginia, mm-hmm. and it meant that there was a catastrophe was about to happen. But as soon I had the thought was, oh my God, something bad's gonna happen on on the nation. But as soon as I had that thought, I, I was saying, no, that's not right. And I could almost feel like the man was turning his head to look towards me. I didn't see him smile, but mm-hmm. it's almost like I felt him smile. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, oh my God, what's that? what does that mean? But now I know that my journey of who I was to become started out like almost you always hear the mm-hmm. the faith of a mustard seed, but I guess my faith was that of a of a house ring, <laughs> and it just grew. Uh-huh. And then I've been traveling ever since. So mm-hmm. that that was my journey, mm-hmm. I think, of growing to be who I'm supposed to be today. So, thank you for sharing that with us yeah. today. Thank you, and uh, um, if you would like to let us know a little bit more about what you do. Um, in your artistic um, life? Well, like you say, you can already tell that I'm I'm a storyteller. Mm -hmm. But I also make Catawba pottery. I make uh, reed baskets. And then my newest obsession is making longleaf pine needle baskets. Mm -hmm. And no, I didn't bring any... uh, demonstrations of either one of them <laughs> because uh, it's almost like as soon as I make them I either know I have to gift them to somebody or either uh, somebody purchases them so that but wouldn't be a problem no. in this era of high technology yeah. mm-hmm. you can send us a picture mm-hmm. and we'll post it yeah okay. and we'll post links to some of the books okay. we've talked yes. about today too Absolutely. so um, anyone can go to our our podcast page to see Mm -hmm. those Mm -hmm. any thoughts before we end the interview today regarding the importance of oral stories oral stories uh, not only are entertaining but we tell stories because there is a life lesson or moral behind the story and it's a way of teaching you the rights and wrongs in in life without being so much preachy or demanding. This way you learn the lesson without you realizing that it's really a lesson, mm-hmm. but it'll stick with you. Will encourage, would you encourage our people in the community in South Carolina and abroad. Absolutely. Uh, grandparents, tell your grandchildren not only about some of the, the stories that you know, but tell them your story because it's one of my personal my toes is uh, if you don't know where you're going how will you know when you get there and also you know the full part of it is if 
you don't know where you come from, how will you know where you're going? And if you don't know where you're going, how will you know when you get there? So children need to get where the grandparents are, and they can't get there unless the grandparents tell them their story. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what your ethnic group is. We all are humans, and we all have an interconnection to each other because if you sit down and talk to any person, I don't care where they come from, you will find a connection to where we're all connected in one way or another, either through our personal stories or from the stories of our ancestors. Thank you. Thank I couldn't you have so said much. that any better. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us here well. in Bibli Observatory sharing your stories and your treasures. It has been wonderful to have you. Thank you. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for being here with us today, and thank you to our listeners. You can find Bibli Observatory on Podbean, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio, or add us on your favorite podcast app. Our podcast website address is libraryvoices.podbean.com. We love hearing from our listeners, so send us your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Bibli Observatory is a collaborative literacy initiative to connect our communities and children with the joy of listening, reading, and writing those memories from childhood that changed our lives. Thanks for listening.